0: Hello and welcome to the Canopy Boulder Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of entrepreneurship and investing in the legal cannabis industry. Each week, we'll give you our perspectives on the latest news in the industry, bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs, investors, and the industry pros, and also go deeper on topics like launching a business, building a team, valuation, and pitching investors. Why would we take on such of a challenge? Well, we've helped launch 80 companies into the cannabis industry here at Canopy Boulder and made over 100 individual investments into these companies. So you might say we have the inside line on things. So join us as we take you deeper into legal cannabis and uncover all the nuances of starting up and investing in the cannabis industry.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Canopy Boulder podcast. I'm Celia Daly, marketing manager here at Canopy Boulder and today we're talking about the laws around cannabis in particular, in regards to trademarks. We have James Marion with us, who is a trademark cannabis legal expert. Um, His background, he's been a lawyer and working in his own practice since around the time Colorado and Washington went legal in 2013, has worked with numerous different cannabis clients, uh, everybody from startups to medium and large companies has kind of written out that evolution, um, and he really has kind of worked on all different aspects from branding and trademarks to sort of the evolution of different laws and, and how that affects companies getting set up in this industry. So thank you so much for joining us, James. We're really excited to have you.
2: Uh, yeah, pleasure to be here. Good to, good to be talking with you, Celia.
1: Awesome. Okay, so I think let's just start with kind of the basics, um, since we're talking about trademark law. Um, what? Why do we need a trademark? Why are we even talking about this? Why is this important?
2: Right. So, um, I mean, you can look at this from kind of maybe a more interesting perspective, and that's the, the branding perspective, when we kind of get into the trenches with uh, the legality of things and trademarks people's eyes tend to gloss over. But um, if you look at this from uh, kind of an overall brand perspective, you're looking at maybe three big bullet points here, and and, um, those are raising money, making money, and saving money. Um, Raising money, obviously, investors uh, will be looking for a secure IP portfolio um, when they're checking out new companies, uh, making money. You need a brand that's both, um, you know, has a, a comprehensive brand strategy where you're um, able to look at a look at a brand, look at a company, and say, okay, this is what they're all about. This is what they're selling, and able to identify them kind of off the bat and know you're getting quality for for that brand. Um, and it's a way you can stand out in a crowded market uh, which is something we're seeing you know increasingly these days in cannabis Uh, a lot of similar brands a lot of similar ideas and who's going to rise to the top um and so that's your making money component uh and then when it comes to saving money um you want to make sure your your brand portfolio your trademark portfolio is in order um, to avoid any conflicts with other brands down the road um, costly litigation um, that, or, um, you know, a dilution of your brand that leads to, uh, you know, a a lack of business essentially. Um, so those are kind of the big three. Um, but, uh, basically, you know, your brand is, is what faces consumers and it's what, um, you know, brings money to your company.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I know branding is really important, uh, in this industry in particular. Have you seen that at all? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I think you can you can point to um, you know industry leaders in cannabis and say, okay, I recognize what they're doing. I know exactly what they sell, and I see their recognizable logo, trademark brand at you know every every conference convention I go to. Um, you know, it's something you might not even need to know the name of the the brand, but you recognize their their image and their Um, their packaging and their overall look and feel and and vibe that they're giving out Um, You know, I I think you can point to some of the successes in licensing across state lines Um, You know someone like Kiva or Dixie elixirs or or these these brands that you see um, You know in in multiple state markets
1: Okay, so we know trademarks are important, right? Um, so when people are looking at this when they're sort of building out that brand and they're kind of thinking about this, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about and what makes a trademark strong, right? What makes brand strong?
2: Sure. Okay. So yeah, I mean, here's, here's where you start to kind of get into the weeds and, and if people's eyes do start to gloss over, um, that's fine. This stuff gets complicated and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's something you uh, want to discuss with an attorney. Um, and it's, it's why we have jobs and, and, um, you know, are, are willing to kind of uh, parse the, the semantics of, of what makes a trademark strong, what uh, makes a trademark conflict with another trademark, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but kind of on basic terms, um, uh, you have a spectrum of, of trademark strengths that kind of starts with very weak trademarks, which could either be generic, um, uh, that is to say, uh, a word or term that is just universally accepted for what it is. Um, or, or describes the um, underlying quality of, of a product. Um, and so uh, that's, that's at one end, that's at the weak weekend. Um, and then at the, the stronger end, you have um, either uh, novel or arbitrary marks that are, are um, you yeah, know, we we'll get to this, but um, are, are going to be a lot stronger because there's not much else there that's out there like them. Um, and so it's hard to say that uh, something called, you know, that goes by one of those trademarks is going to be indicating a source that's anything other than the company that produces them. Um, it's probably the, the best way to put that. But so generic terms, um, if we frame it, you know, in, in the, the parlance of this space, it's going to be the words like cannabis, uh, joint, um, you know, software, systems, edibles, anything that's just a, a basic term that, you know, everyone recognizes. So um, while trademarks can contain those those terms, um, it's going to be very hard to go out there and uh, create a brand called Cannabis Pre-Rolls um, and, and sure. expect to be able to protect that universally um, because everyone's going to be out there using that. And, um, you know, while trademark does... Um, provide for uh, creating proprietary value around certain terms over time. Um, you, you also don't want to create a monopoly on terms that are, are you know universally used. So um, those are the weakest um, descriptive terms as well. Um, they have a little more of a chance than a generic term. Um, so certain descriptive terms can um, gain proprietary value over time with we call acquired distinctiveness, um, but uh, generally are not particularly strong marks. Um, And those uh, descriptive marks can include something like uh, a geographic descriptor. So let's say, uh, you know, Humboldt County pre-rolls, that's a a descriptive um, mark combined with a generic mark. So it's about as weak as it gets. Um, uh, But uh, it can also just describe the Underlying nature um, of of the product you're putting out there. So um, let's say uh, Berkeley Patients Collective for a dispensary. Um, you know, it's saying that you're just you're a patients collective that's in Berkeley, California. Um, you know, and presumably somebody else might want to open a, a patients collective in Berkeley, California, and, and there you can see how this you know is potentially something that you're not going to be able to lock down very easily because it it should be usable for for any party in that situation. Um and uh so those are the bad ones. You you unfortunately see um a lot of descriptive marks ac- across the board not necessarily just in cannabis but um certainly in cannabis at this point. Um a lot of marks are at least in part descriptive. Um you know ge- geographic location is is a big um, you know uh, red flag a lot of people come to my office with with you know uh, their brand of dot 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 um or um you know some other description that's trying to get out there to the consumer what it is you do um and you know that's an understandable tendency it's just that when it comes to um you know long term protection for a brand that's uh, it's generally kind of a losing formula um because the at least at minimum to to get to a position where you're protecting a mark like that and able to carve out um you know some space where you could be you know northern humboldt uh you know something something um that's well and we're we're completely ignoring the fact that in California you have to make sure that if you're saying your products from northern humboldt it actually is from northern humboldt but um from trademark perspective uh, you know, to, to start to actually be able to sink your teeth into a brand that's descriptive uh, generally takes about a minimum of five years use in commerce and somewhere upwards of about a million to $2 million in, in marketing and advertising that you can prove. Um, so it's a bit of a hurdle it, you know, for a startup company. That's, that's a lot. Um, and it also means that you're left relatively exposed for that first five years um and, and or just having to be incredibly uh aggressive with your enforcement of a, of a mark that's descriptive. So generally if we can avoid that we we will. Um and uh so that leaves us with what's actually a good mark um, and uh this is you know where we hope people are are you know getting to this point before they they start to you know really roll out their their brand and and um consider their marketing and advertising material. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what you really are looking for is something that's distinctive um, and even novel, uh, words that are entirely created out of thin air or at least to the, you know, uh, general public would be interpreted as being made up out of thin air. Um, and so that's your your google's um although I think Google actually comes from uh you know the an, an actual word um but uh Exxon would be another example of that um you know within cannabis, I think you could probably look at uh uh a Kiva or, or something along those lines where it's like no, nobody really understands what that means outside of the context of the product it's on. Um, and so those are your strongest marks. Um, you can also have what's called an arbitrary mark. Um, probably the, the best example being something like Apple computers, which, um, you know, everybody knows what an Apple is. That's, that's descriptive if you're talking about fruit. Um, but it's arbitrary in the context of, of computer hardware. Um, and so that is a, is a pretty strong mark. And that's something else um, that's worth looking at when you're considering branding and trademarks is what is your product? Is it, you know, uh, am I, uh, part, of, part of what you're dealing with is in the actual brand itself and what consumers read on on a package or, or see on a website. Um, but then what is your product? Uh, what does your trademark mean in relation to the underlying product or service that you're providing. Um, and if there's a disconnect there, um, you know, you can actually create a lot stronger, uh, proprietary value by having kind of a, uh, you know, either a play on words or a, or a, you know, an arbitrary relationship between the trademark and, and the product you're selling.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think anyone who's been to a cannabis trade show has, uh, has seen this, right? I mean, everything's green or, um, you know, has all these sort of common words and it's hard, definitely hard to stand out. So I think that's, uh, that's great advice. So I think what I'm taking is, you know, when we're thinking about avoid, what what we're trying to avoid, maybe when we're building our brand, we're trademarking is, uh, you know, terms like green and cannabis and, uh, you know, Ganja, those kinds of words that we see a lot. Um, Do you have, I mean, anything else that we should be sort of thinking about when we're developing this on things to avoid?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nose, you hit it on the nose there. Um, Cannabis space is kind of like a, a minefield of um, how not tos when it comes to trademark, um, and, and you know it's hard it's hard for me to compare this to any other industry just because I you know I, I at least haven't experienced the the birth of a new industry like cannabis, um, and I, I don't think people get to very often. So um, you know you kind of see the the entire evolution as you know tons of companies pour into a space. Um, lots of similar ideas, lots of similar branding, and then, you know, over time, um, if you look at a more mature industry that's been around for, for a century or, or, you know, half a century, um, you know, you'll see things start to filter out and kind of settle into place as to, as to what's, what works and what doesn't. Um, here, we're seeing it all happen, you know, in, in the blink of an eye um so it, it it's kind of an interesting petri dish from a from a you know legal standpoint and a trademark standpoint but um yeah the the common culprits are anything green anything canna kind uh vapor uh, you know uh, green cross is one that's all over the place um you know as far as a visual uh, symbol um and you've seen uh, i think you know just in the last Two to three to four years, um, you know, a, a definite, a definite trend towards sophistication, where um, you know people are coming into the space and and with a little more marketing background and, and realizing that, you know, that that kind of basic level of descriptive or or kind of tried and true terminology is is not going to help you stand out in the crowd. Um, and so you're starting to see, you know, better branding and, and more uh, comprehensive branding, I think, on the whole within the space. Um, but, you know, you still, still get people who, um, you know, have been calling what they do, uh, by a certain name for, for several years, even predating legalization. Um, and they, they love it and they don't want to change it necessarily. So, um, you know, you, you have to, I think, take a step back every once in a while and say, what's, uh, what is holding on to this name mean for me versus what it means for you know the success of my my uh, company and my product um and is there a way to maybe tweak this so that it's a little more distinctive over time um and uh you know but still uh, conveys you know the character of the the product that i'm trying to put out there
1: yeah sure that that makes a lot of sense i i think that's great advice so um all right so we know kind of what makes a strong trademark and brand. Um, How do we, how does that begin? Right. So like, what's that process look like? Let's say you've kind of figured out what it is. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about what the sort of legal uh, actions are, I guess, in order to kind of protect that?
2: Sure. Um, Yeah. So trademark, um, I think something that not everyone knows, um, you know, when they first contact a trademark attorney or, or start, um, you know, strategizing protection for their portfolio, is that trademark um, doesn't require any kind of formal registration with the state or you know federal office to um, maintain proprietary value. Uh, the ownership and the rights associated with trademark are established by seniority of use in commerce. So that basically means that as long as you've been using it on the product, you know, that that you're associating it with um, and you can prove that and you can prove that you've been doing it longer than somebody else um, who is, you know, either sharing the same territory that you are or, um, you know, coming into your territory from somewhere else, uh, then you're the one who's going to be able to enforce that trademark against the the junior. Um, That said, uh, what you really want to do is be able to register. A trademark, um, either prior to use, or um, if you have already been using it in commerce, then um, you know as soon as possible uh, to establish the statutory rights that come with uh, a federal registration or, or state registration, um, and this all kind of comes back to. Um, you know the possibility of having to enforce your trademark against somebody else or to uh defend your trademark against somebody who might be coming after you claiming that you're infringing their trademark uh, registration is uh you know a key component in in those kind of disputes and and um, create certain presumptions uh, and, uh, you know, evidentiary standards that you can use in, in litigation or in, uh, you know, like a cease and desist dispute. Um, and so uh, to to get there, um, you know, the first step, the one that we recommend uh, is what we call clearance of a trademark, and that's basically going to someone like me or, or a trademark attorney like myself. Um, or a service that uh, conducts these clearance searches and goes out and takes all the information um, you know, that we deem pertinent to your brand uh, with regards to possible conflicts. Um, and so we, we look at your trademark, whether that's a, a word or a phrase or an image, um, and then run it through our little systems to see what comes back, uh, see what might be conflicting, um, and then break that down into a sort of risk analysis, uh, whereby we're, we're suggesting, you know, whether this is a viable mark, you can move forward, and we recommend going uh, to the next step, which would be an application for, you know, federal or state registration, um, or, you know, if things are, are more problematic, um, you know, what can we do to maybe tweak this a bit to, to strengthen your position before we do that. Um, or in worst case scenarios, you know, you do occasionally go out there and and somebody else is using, uh, an identical mark on an identical product or, or a, you know, very similar mark on on an identical product. And it just doesn't look very good as far as, um, you know, the prospects for moving forward with that mark, in which case, you know, we start talking about other options. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's the first step. Um, and uh, when it comes to cannabis, like, that can get a little tricky. Um, not so much on the search front, but, um, once you get to the next phase and that's, um, you know, the applications, but I'm assuming we'll, we'll get into that at some point. Yeah. Um,
1: yep. Does so, that
2: make sense though? Yeah, I, uh, definitely. You
1: know? So just to clarify, cause, um, you know, I think sometimes it gets a little confusing and we've all seen the little TM, the little R with the circle around it. Can you kind of just, go over really quick, like, what is the difference between the two? What is a registered trademark versus, um, you know, sure. a normal one?
2: Yeah, this is, a this is something that, um, you know, is a, a day in day out discussion in cannabis because, um, so many people are left with the option of, of using the TM symbol. Um, you know, which you will see outside of this industry, people, people use TM all the time. Um, major brands that that you're familiar with still use the TM for various reasons, Um, but the TM symbol uh, does not attach itself to any kind of state or federal registration. It's uh, just a basic announcement um, that is telling consumers and telling competitors that you are you intend to claim this mark as a trademark um, you're claiming ownership to it in the context in which you're using it and you're you intend to protect it um, and so it's basically a pronouncement of your common law rights to the mark by using it in commerce um, it doesn't mean much past that, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> unfortunately. But but um, it it can be used as a um, you know an indicator of the the date at which you started um, using something in the context of a trademark. So it is important as soon as your brand is out there, and uh, presuming you don't already have um, a federal registration. The TM is, is an important thing to have on your brand because it's, um, you know, making an announcement that this is something you you are claiming ownership and rights in, and intend and, and to protect and, and enforce. Um, and so, that's that's uh, any mark that doesn't have a federal registration, um, including marks that are only registered in at various uh, state offices. Um, you know, you'd still use that TM. Um, The R with the circle around it, um, which people are probably also familiar with, um, specifically pertains to federally registered trademarks. Um, and so you can't use that R, um, even though some people do, uh, until, uh, you have an official registered trademark and a certificate that, that states as such. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I know I did this when I, I, the first business I ever started, I, uh, which, which wasn't a cannabis business, but, um, you know, I went out and I, I paid for a fancy logo uh, to be designed. I, you know, had my website up and everything looked good. And I was like, Oh, you know, everyone has an R up here. Let's just put an R up next to my, my, uh, logo. Um, And you know, it wasn't until later, this was before I was a lawyer, but uh, it wasn't until a little later that I did some research on that and realized that that's actually illegal um, and that you actually cannot be uh, you know, pronouncing that you have a federal trademark registration um, when you don't. Um, enforcement against that is fairly rare. So if, if you're out there listening to this and you have an R up and you don't have a federal registration, don't panic. Um, just think about taking it down as soon as you can. Um, and then maybe talking to, to me or another trademark attorney about how you might get a federal registration um, or just replace it with the TM because the TM is fine. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's what comes uh, at the end of the federal registration process um, when you, know, you have a certificate in hand and, and um, federal registration is confirmed. You throw that R up there. That's announcing that um, you have a federal registration um, which comes, you know, like I said, with a with a bunch of um, you know, statutory presumptions um, and, and rights, um, and it, it's a good way of saying to, to competitors, um, you know, don't you don't really necessarily want to mess with this trademark.
1: Got it. Um, yeah, that's that's really helpful. I know um, a lot of our teams have sort of done. Well, they'll do like a press release or something like that and they put that tm up there and then that way it's sort of out there in the world and and they can kind of come back to it and say we've been using this since x date or whatever so um, exactly yeah um yeah.
2: you know i mean you can even go so far as to to be really diligent about it and as soon as you've got a you know a website or a, a product launch in a or, you know, even even a purchase order that uh, or an invoice or something like that that contains the the trademark um, in the context of the product that you're trying to protect, um, you know, take a screenshot, take a photo and, and uh, you know, date stamp it and yeah. keep that in your file somewhere just so you you have that proof. Uh, to go back to if if anything comes up down the road and, and there's some sort of conflict where you need to, to um, you know, pronounce your seniority um, with, within context of a certain market.
1: Yeah. Okay, great. So let's jump into kind of what's different about cannabis. I mean, obviously cannabis is a federally illegal industry. Um, so how does that impact cannabis businesses ability to register their trademarks and set that up?
2: Sure. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's what makes it interesting. Um, (laughs) but yeah, the, the Controlled Substances Act, uh, the federal prohibition that remains in place, um, is kind of the biggest hurdle to to start. Um, you know, at this point in the evolution of things, we've, we've, you know, narrowed down a, a decent list of. Of workarounds to kind of avoid the fact that you um, uh, can't necessarily register a uh, plant touching cannabis product or, or quote unquote paraphernalia product um, and at why the federal is that? level. Uh, well, here, I've actually got the Controlled Substances Act language here in front of me. Um, but the long and short of it is that the federal government requires lawful use in commerce for uh, a trademark to be registered. Um, and if you fall within the, the uh, language of the prohibition under the CSA, um, then you are not lawful use in commerce. Uh, and when you file that trademark application, uh, the United States Patent and Trademark Office—they're um, going to take a look at it. Probably take a look at what your product is or how you've worded your product. If there's any whiff of cannabis (no pun intended), um, <laughs> the uh, the examiner is going to come back and, and issue an initial rejection for that for that application. Um, and so uh, the CSA, and quoting here, prohibits, among other things, manufacturing, distributing, dispensing, or possessing certain controlled substances, including marijuana and marijuana-based preparations. Uh, in addition, the CSA makes it unlawful to sell, offer for sale, or use any facility of interstate commerce to transfer drug, transport drug paraphernalia i.e. any equipment, product, or material of any kind which is primarily intended or designed for use in manufacturing, compounding, converting, concealing, producing, processing, preparing, injecting, ingesting, inhaling, or otherwise introducing into the human body a controlled substance, possession of which is unlawful under the Controlled Substances Act. So right. that <laughs> that mouthful um, is is what they look at when they examine a trademark and specifically what the the underlying product that's attached to that trademark is going to be. Um, okay. And so when it comes to, uh, you know, any product that's touching the plant that is, uh, you know, contains THC and in, in um, certain cases, CBD these days, that's something we could, we can maybe discuss in a little more detail, but that, that's probably a whole other podcast worth. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, anything that's that's um, you know contains cannabis uh, is directly intended for the ingestion of cannabis, um, and that's where you kind of fall into that paraphernalia designation. Um, that's going to that's gonna run afoul of, of this language and um, is going to prevent you from getting a federal trademark under the insurance law. So, um, you know, that's a, uh, fortunately, the USPTO tends to work on, you know, kind of a, a semantic level when it comes to these things. Um, and uh, the way the process works is, um, you know, you're offering a, uh, a specimen of use to the USPTO when you file for registration. So they're going to look at what you're doing and the way you explain it and the way you are carving out the certain protections for your trademark um, and and take that at face value. They're going to do some inspection of, of, you know, the use in commerce. Um, so you can't really fake it, so to say, but, um, you know, it's possible that you could be selling something that, um you know, avoids all the, all the pitfalls of involvement with cannabis um, and still be related to it in some way, shape, or form um, and, and potentially get a, a trademark that way. Um, kind of the, the ancillary path, which, uh, you know, a lot of companies in the space um, have taken, um, which, you know, may have you kind of clear of the bar from the get-go depending on what your product is. But yeah, it, it kind of depends on how you present yourself, what your product is, and and uh, you know whether you have any uh, alternative products that might be, you know, a secondary option to look at um, by way of uh, uh, trying to get your trademark registered.
1: Got it. So it sounds like you know, for a lot of comp- a lot of cannabis companies out there, um, you know, one, I think probably talk to a lawyer. Two um you know, make sure you're putting that that trademark up on things so that, you know, kind of when this changes, um, you're you're sort of set up to go ahead and get registered.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um okay. and and there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of involved strategy here. Um and you know I think different lawyers look at it different ways and different uh, you know business owners are going to look at it different ways kind of dependent on on tolerance for risk and you know your legal budget. Um, you know, there are ways to at least pursue the federal option and try to hold out some protection at that level, um, you know, for the short run, anticipating that there might be some, ch- some change in the law.
1: Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to make sure that people sort of know how to get in touch with you. Um, where are you located?
2: Sure. Uh, I'm in the Bay Area. I'm in San Francisco proper. Um, And I service clients throughout the state, but also, um, you know, throughout the country. Uh, And um, yeah, best way to get in touch with me, uh, you can always check me out on my website. It's uh, www.marion, M-A-R-I-O-N-E-S-Q as in Esquire.com. So marionesq.com. Also on Twitter at marionesq. Um, those are probably the best ways to do it. Facebook as well. Okay. Um,
1: I will link to that in the description.
2: Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll just say that, you know, we, I spouted out a lot in, in a brief period of time today, um, which really just kind of covers the basics of these things. Um, so always feel free to just reach out um, and get in touch. If, if you have any questions, um, you know, always happy to kind of field uh, general trademark questions with, uh, with potential clients and, and, Um, you know look at your situation all right Uh, well well, thanks for having me
1: yeah thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate your insight um, and hopefully that's helpful to our listeners who are thinking about setting up their brand and their trademarks so uh, we appreciate it Well, that's where we're going to leave it. As always, if you have any ideas for topics you want to hear more about, send us an email at info at or tweet at us at canopy boulder. See you next time.
0: Now for the disclaimers please do not take any information from the Canopy Boulder podcast or its guests as investment advice. Be sure to contact your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. So thank you for listening and please join us for another Canopy Boulder podcast episode coming to you soon.